Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, briancleman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. And welcome to Protecting Your Assets, episode 32, and it's going to be on an active attacker. I'm Lucky Luciano Cedroni, your host, and with me is Brian, the angry man claimant. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of these incidents in recent days, so we thought it'd be uh, of value to talk about active attackers in the modern age, and unfortunately, it's in the news all too often. Uh, so that's what we're going to be talking about today, but before we do that, as always, I'm going to turn it over to my co-host, Brian, for his initial thoughts and uh, what's keeping you up these days. Well, I'm as angry as I ever am, so this should be a good episode. Uh, really, just the reoccurring theme of COVID, it's like Freddy Krueger, just when you thought it was safe to go outside, he's back. Yeah. So, you know, like, I, I guess the rest of the world, or at least many people, I'm just sitting uh, 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 watching uh, this thing develop. I understand that uh, I'm just amazed how quickly it's moved from Af the African continent, South Africa, to uh, to here. Everyone. I mean, we just had, I think two days ago, there was a case in Ottawa. Today, there, uh, the next day, one in Montreal. Now there's a case in uh, in Durham region, not yeah. too far, just right next to Toronto. So, uh, you know, it's there's every possibility. This thing is mutated. Mutation, I am told, doesn't necessarily mean bad. Yeah. It may be not as bad as Delta. But again, what's sort of upsetting is uh, everyone thought, I believe, we're double vax, happy times ahead holidays all this good stuff and then bang here we are so not yeah. to dwell on it but uh i know it's it's, uh, it's draining on the uh, on the emotions listening to this covid crap over and over again on my end my concern there's things that's caught my eye uh, i talked last episode about the trend in uh, in the us where the guys are just going in and doing smash and grabs you know it could be 10 people could be 100 people come into your store and start taking things and there's not much that uh, business owners can do at least at this point <coughs> um and that's and, and adding on to that is another disturbing trend i've been watching on tiktok which started with universities uh university dorms in particular where uh, people were encouraged to go and kick in doors and scare the crap out of their 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 mates or their you know their their roommates across the the, the hall and type thing like yeah. that and that seems to now have evolved or is evolving into kicking people's houses doors in and scaring the crap out of homeowners. And, you know, at some point that's not going to end well. Somebody's going to be waiting for you with a billy bat or, or worse, a, a, a firearm in the U S and all of a sudden somebody's going to die because of this stupidity. I, I, I don't understand it. I really don't. I, I mean, I got better things I would have done at that age. So I don't know what's happening with today's youth. Maybe we're getting old, but I just, I don't get it. Well, this trend's going to, die off very soon especially if it's happening south of the border with all the guns and the happiness of using guns it will not be funny when kids start getting hit with a 12 gauge or semi-automatic you know to that same vein uh it's interesting how uh, nonsense sort of evolves and changes i just heard recently that uh, in york region alone there's been 2,000 car thefts this year in 2021 which amazes me that there's that many but 
uh, you know, I used to lose my keychain all the time and my wallet. And my wife said, you know, you're just you just got to get it together because I keep saying, what do you do with my keys? So Apple came out with this incredible tracker device and I've got them on all my keychains and they're amazing. If I lose it, leave it behind, I not only know that it's no longer with me, I can backtrack and find out where it is. Incredible technology. Just heard in the news tonight that York Regional Police uh, put out a public warning using those Apple trackers, connecting them to cars, looking shopping malls, see cars they like, put the tracker on there, go back in the nighttime, and then scoop the car. Yep. Wow. You know, you take three steps forward with uh, 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 technology that's going to better the quality of our life. And the bad guys, moments after we introduce technology, exploit exploited. Yep. That, it's, it's, uh, it's a game, right? They do one thing, we fix it. They find another way around it. We fix yep. it again. And, and uh, the business guys keep making money off the products that they sell. <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're selling everyone. They sell probably 25% to the good guys and 75% to the bad guys. <laughs> they monetize it. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. Um, so let's move on to the topic of the day, which is active attacker. Um, and just to be clear, active attacker isn't just a, a person carrying a gun. Uh, they have to be in the act of killing people, but they don't necessarily have to be using a firearm. It could be a knife, could be a car, uh, could be anything. Actually, I, I, you know, one example, which is a terrible example, but it did happen in China. Um, a, a guy locked himself in a children's uh, daycare um, a couple of years, a couple of years ago, and then he started throwing the freaking children off the third floor window. So that's an active attacker. He continually threw, threw those kids out the, out the window until the police were able to break in and, and, and put an end to it. So active attacker is pretty, it's, it's a wide range. It's not just firearms. And let's keep that in mind when we talk about it. Well, yeah, you know, it started off years ago when the phenomena became mainstream because it's been around forever, but it was called active shooter. And certainly in Canada, we changed it for a lot of reasons, I guess, because we're politically correct. But the reality to your point was it was an active attacker because when they looked historically, everything from firearms were used to baseball bats to knives. There was one in Toronto at a Canadian Forces recruiting station a few years ago that had a terrorism nexus where the lady used a sword and yeah. she wounded a couple of people. You know, uh, she probably would have wounded a lot more people if she wasn't stopped. So you're right, it's more than just a gun, and it's a lot more prevalent than we realize. You know, I, I uh, in preparation for this uh, podcast, I did some uh, research, and um, uh, a lot of people would be surprised to hear, when you think of active attack, you think about the United States, you think mm -hmm. about all the incidents, the school shootings, and those <laughs> types of things. But Canada has uh, had active attack situations going back to 1689, which amazed me. But if you look in more recent times, and many people may be surprised to find out, I'm looking at my trusty notes over here, going from, let's don't see, you have a computer? <laughs> well, I do, but I print it out. I don't know how to do two things at once. But like very briefly, 1969, Buffalo Nar Narrows in Saskatchewan, seven members of a family were killed uh, with an axe by a stranger that entered the house. Uh, September 1, 1972, uh, Montreal, Quebec, the Bluebird Cafe, I remember that, unfortunately I'm dating myself, a Bluebird Cafe fire where basically someone uh, locked the fire exit doors and uh, put a Molotov cocktail into a nightclub and killed... Uh, 37 people. This is in Canada. Uh, March 24th, uh, 1985 in Lennoxville, Quebec, part of the Quebec Biker Wars. 
a, a four convicted uh, of first degree murder of all sorts of uh, uh, peripheral damage. And it goes on. I'm just amazed. I mean, more recently we had uh, uh, the uh, uh, Dawson College massacre. Yeah. We had the Ecole uh, uh, Politique in Montreal. Uh, and I'm just looking here. You had uh, 19, 2020 in Nova Scotia, the, uh, the Nova Scotia massacre, where I believe... Uh, uh, 13 people were killed and 22 oh, yeah. people. Yeah. So, you know, it happens. And the thing, I think, the hallmark with active attacker that people have to understand, and especially people responsible for other people, business leaders, organi organization leaders, it can happen at any time with no warning and result in devastating consequences. What is the likelihood of an active attacker happening and impacting us or your business? Very, very low. But as you can see by looking at the data, even in Canada, it's not unheard of. We have an average of a, you know one every two years or three years over the last 20 years. But if it does happen, and if you're not prepared, the consequences can be devastating. Yeah. You talk about every few years, and in the States, it's every couple hours oh, it's, <laughs> from, from the sounds of it. Um, so look, I want to look at this thing in three different uh, buckets. And I know that you've got a clip you want to play. But I think my intro here will uh, will bring us to that clip, and then we can play it, and you can uh, you can comment on it. But basically, you know, I think the problem or the challenges with police training on on this topic is that it really focuses on when the when the shooter's at the door. Um, you know, I've I've had them, I've brought them in to to train uh, staff and employees. I know you've done the same, and they tend to talk about what happens when it's all gone bad, and at that point. It's really too late. Like, you know, the guy's at the door, he's shooting people, he's stabbing people, whatever it is. Um, I don't think we focus enough on the front end what we can do to prevent it or at least mitigate it you know, with proper policies, training, security awareness, and things like that. And, you know, the most recent shooting that we were talking about uh, where we're going to play the clip, uh, I think there's indicators in that that speak to some level of training and testing that had gone on before the event. So let me play it. And then when it's done, I'm going to hand it over to you to uh, start your comments on that. Okay? Okay, yeah. Well, here we go. Yes. Sheriff Dawkins, safe to come out. Yeah, he said it's safe to come out. Now, we're not willing to take that risk right now. I can't hear you. We're not taking that risk right now. Okay, well, come to the door and look at my bag, bro. No. Yeah, bro. He said, bro. he said bro, red flag. From the shooting, the school shooting that happened, I believe, in Michigan uh, just uh, recently in the last couple of days. And in that uh, uh, shooting, uh, there was a 15 year old male, uh, not clear to me at this time if he was a student, uh, who used a gun, went in, and I think he killed, what, 13 people were shot, and I think three were killed, if I'm not mistaken. Three or four, yeah. 
three or four were killed. But what's really interesting is I know the schools are really light years ahead of business in terms of preparation. Every school in the States and most of them in Canada not only teach the kids what to do if there's a fire drill, but they actually do active attack or training right now. And those of you that have children, ask your young ones, especially if they're going to high school, uh, if they've got an active attack or training. They'll, pro they'll probably say yes, and you'll probably be surprised. It's become sort of normal. But the clip is interesting. Not only does it demonstrate to me that uh, those kids receive training, but it shows that the training works. The person in the clip, the bad guy, uh, approaches a locked room where there's a whole bunch of students that are hiding, as they should per mm -hmm. the training, and he yells, Sheriff's Department, open the door. And then one of the students, as you're, they're taught in the training, says, I'm uncomfortable doing that right now because that's what we teach them. You don't open yep. the door for anyone. And he said, open the door. Uh, I'll show you my badge, dude. Bro. And, or bro, bro. Bro. I'll show you my badge, bro. And then one of the kids is heard on the cliff saying, bro, that's not the cops. That doesn't yeah. sound right. And then the kids know. Uh, we're going to get into the run, hide, defend options, I think. But the kids know. Their hiding place has now been compromised. They're about to get slaughtered, so they escape out a window. And fortunately, those kids, to my understanding, got away. So that just reinforces the importance of preparation and training. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to say, before I turn it over to you, we're going to get into training a little bit uh, in greater detail shortly. But as I see it, there's really five phases to an attack. And the first phase is, and I'm going to use a terrorism term, there's radicalization. And what I mean by that is no one wakes up today and says, I'm going to go shoot up some sort of a place, uh, a business, a school, mm -hmm. a, a arena, uh, a theater. Something happens in their life. There's some catalyst event that happens in their life, and they start to lose it. And uh, the chance of interdicting an active attacker attack or a terrorist attack is during this radicalization phase. When a normal person starts to become, I think the medical medical term is squirrely. And if people are looking for those signs, we can see, it doesn't mean people under stress or depressed mm -hmm. are going to shoot up a place, but the person's calling for help and something's happening. So that's the first phase. The second phase is what I call pre-attack preparation. And in the case of the school shooting, the uh, boy, the teen, uh, got his uh, dad to buy a gun is the story I've heard. Well, was the parents gun have been charged. Yeah, the, the parents have been charged with that just five days before. So before someone actually does the attack, if you look at Columbine, if you look at a co-pilot technique in Montreal, you look at all the attacks uh, that have occurred in the last 20, 30 years, there is a preparation phase. So the guy decides he's broke, okay, he's had it, he's lost it. Now he starts planning. He does his reconnaissance. He gets his weapons. Then there's the actual attack. And people would be surprised to learn that it's over often before the police show up. Yeah. I mean, it happens really quickly. And if you're not on your game, you're you know, the outcome may not turn out well for you. So there's the attack. There's the immediate aftermath of the attack, okay, where the smoke hasn't cleared yet. The attacker's been neutralized, but they're still panicked. They're still injured people, triage necessary. And there's the piece that you have a lot of experience with is the recovery that happens in the days and weeks afterwards, which we're going to talk to or you're going to talk to afterwards. But it's important to understand active attacker in that context. It's not bang out of nowhere something happens. No. It happens with no warning, 
but there are signs. And if you look at the continuum, each one of those, especially on the front end, is an opportunity to make a difference. Yeah, and I think you laid out the process pretty clearly, five simple steps. Um, you know, focusing on the front end of that, um, you talk about signs and symptoms, giving your employees, your students, uh, the capacity to recognize what are signs and symptoms. And to your point, you know, maybe Brian shows up today with a with a with a shaggy beard, not because he's thinking of shooting the place up. Maybe he's had a rough weekend. But you got to ask the question. You got to give your your people the the training to say it's not. You know, it, it's 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 beneficial to ask because to your point, it could it could be an indicator of of a, of a call for help. It doesn't mean that yeah. they're going to shoot somebody. They may just need somebody to talk to. But if you don't ask the question, you don't know. And so they're allowed to spiral out of control. You talk about signs and symptoms. Well, the Columbine shooters, they made a freaking video about it. Yeah. If you recall, right? And they played that in class and that no one thought to say, wow, these guys are actually going to do it. And, you know, hindsight, you're going to say, well, yeah, who would have thought that? You're right. Hindsight would have said that. But maybe there were some other indicators and they probably were that would have created a much more fulsome picture to say, maybe we got to call the parents. Maybe we should call the teachers in. Maybe we should call the kids in and get a counselor in and start asking some questions to see what, what's well, going on in their mind. Well, but it's interesting because a perpetrator is not necessarily someone that's from that community. It's not necessarily a student. Yeah. It's not necessarily an employee because there's two types of perpetrators. There's uh, people that are intimate to the victims, yeah. a fellow employee, teacher, what have you. And that falls into what we call workplace violence. And then there's a stranger that the victims have no connection to. It's like the, it's like, uh, the Colorado theater shooting. That guy just went in and shot up the theater. Those are harder for the organization, okay, for companies to do anything about contact to those people. There's a great story you were telling me the other day, and I remember that case well. I think you got the police department wrong. It was the LA, LA County Sheriff's mm -hmm. Office where they fired the sheriff's officer, yep. sheriff, the sh deputy sheriff. The ex-Marine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but tell our listeners about the story about how this guy was breaking down over time and everyone missed the signs and what well, yeah i mean originally i think he was in the navy uh, navy or the marines i can't remember but at the end of the day it was an army um unit unit a military unit of some sort and they they uh, discharged him because they had concerns over his mental health he subsequently was able to get on the police service how you know we don't know but he got on there and they realized pretty quickly that his mental health was an issue and they ended up discharging him and his response to that was to spiral out of control. But he went to the point where he actually confronted the, ch the, the chief and told him into his face, basically, I'm going to kill you for what you've done to me. And I'm going to, you know, basically, you're going to pay for this. And, you know, hindsight, well, he's not really going to carry through on that threat. Well, he did. He killed the chief. He killed the chief's daughter. And he killed some other people as well. These guys right. give off signals. We just aren't. Sometimes I don't, I don't think people want to acknowledge the fact that that's a signal I should be paying attention to. I don't want to really believe that this guy wants to kill somebody. And that's a, that's a problem. We have to accept the fact that not everyone is healthy, not everyone has good intentions. And so when they yeah. crop up, we have to react, we have to respond. Well, and, and you know, in the five uh, phases, which I talked about the radicalization or or, or the, the, uh, the event, the, the trigger event, the preparation, uh, the attack, the immediate aftermath and the recovery, in that continuum, uh, the, the the event, the pivotal event was getting fired. And it's interesting, he was a police officer that got fired, and that made a guy that was unstable even more unstable. And then he started showing signs that got missed from people that shouldn't have missed it. So there were all sorts of opportunities before that that got missed. But 
you know, put it in a business concept, context, like a lot of our listeners that run organizations and have uh, 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 businesses, you know, you know, they they can't relate to what happens in a police department or a sheriff's office. And I understand that. Have they ever fired an employee? You know, when you tell someone that you're terminated, we no longer need you, that can uh, trigger a, a some sort of a reaction, an immediate reaction or a reaction over time. Because think of it, what you're telling this person uh, is, uh, for they, reasons they probably won't agree with, you're going to lose your job, your livelihood, yeah. you won't be able to feed your family, you're going to be humiliated, your social status is changing. You know, if the guy doesn't explode at the time he's terminated, and that's a whole other episode, how you do a workplace termination, yeah. he's going to go home and he's going to be angry and he or she's going to start drinking potentially or take drugs and just stew on this and it festers. And what happens when you're making craft dinner and you boil the water and you're not paying attention? It gets to a point where it just boils over the top. You know, it doesn't always culminate in an active attacker uh, incident. But I tell you, workplace violence is a lot more common in all workplaces, Canadian or American, than perhaps many of our listeners may realize. Yeah, I don't think they do a good job or a good enough job of tracking it. And I think, quite frankly, a lot of HR departments ignore it. They don't want to deal with it. And that doesn't help the situation. Um, you know, um, continuing on that theme, I know that we, we touched on training and I just mentioned this last um, point. Um, not enough training goes on. You know, we do fire alarms every year. Nobody questions them. They know it's required and they just do it. When you you talk about active attacker uh, drills and all of a sudden you don't want to scare your employees, you know, you don't want to upset them. And I think that's a bullshit argument. I think uh, businesses need to be more active. Your employees aren't stupid. They know what's going on. Um, and, I, you know, I told you a quick story uh, about my own experience where I was doing an active attacker drill in one of our offices. And because people take the same way to work every day, that's all they see. Uh, then that's what they know when when it all goes bad. That's all they're going to know. You default to your basic uh, training, your basic experiences. And because nine times out of 10, you're going to use that front door to the office. In this scenario, we had the bad guy come into the front door with a weapon and he's going to start shooting. What are you going to do? We put it to the office employees. Three of them didn't know that there was a back door in the office that they could have used. Right. And it's right. that simple because they just never had the requirement to say, hey, I'm going to take that that 12 that 12 foot walk around the corner and there's the door. They just never had right. a, a need for it. You need to know your environment. And the example that I would give is uh, most people have flown on an airplane. Well, mm -hmm. what is one of the first things they tell you when you get in the plane even before you take off? The flight attendant is out there and tells you about the safety uh, uh, precautions that you need to be aware of. And they tell you almost every single time, look around at the different exits so that you know what to do and where you can go if there's an emergency evacuation. And if one exit is blocked, you can go to the other one. So you have situational awareness, no different than going to work. Yeah. When you go to work, you need to know how to get out of the building. And not necessarily just because of an active attacker, it could be a fire alarm, it could be a, uh, a building uh, elevator failure type thing where the infrastructure goes down. You have to know a primary way and a backup yeah. way. And if you don't, chances are nothing bad will ever happen until something bad until happens. happens. And when it does, you don't have a plan. What can employers do? Like a lot of people say, well, you know, this stuff is just, first of all, it's not going to happen. It hardly ever happens. And that's correct. And you, you know what? I'll just wing it when it happens. Well, that's sort of the wrong thing to do. Or I won't worry about that until I have to worry about that. Well, that's also the wrong thing to do. Because for a couple of reasons, you have a, a, 
a duty of care obligation to make sure that the people that work for you are safe and secure. And duty of care basically means that you plan for foreseeable events. And it would be hard to make the argument that it was not foreseeable that would be the victim of an active attacker. You can say we didn't really expect it, but you can't say it's not foreseeable. Yeah. It's the news. It's in the news every week in the States and every six months in Canada. So you really need to say, what can I do? And I'll tell you, it starts off, it's four things in my opinion. Develop policy. Develop policy that basically says what the organization's position is in respect to active attacker and how they're going to respond and who is responsible for what. HR's role, frontline management's role. Uh, uh, so very strong policy so that everyone in the organization knows that the safety of employees is important. We take this seriously, just like there's a policy on life safety and fire alarms and fire uh, uh, yeah. preparation. There's got to be a policy with this. The next thing is there's got to be a procedure. There's got to be protocols. I mean, the police, you know, one of the challenges, uh, and I agree with you, and frustrations for me, when you call the police in, they're going to tell you what they're going to do. Yeah. And I think that's really important, but they're not going to tell you what you've got to do, or at least they're not going to tell you in a way that I believe you need to know it. So you really have to have a protocol of what you're going to do in an active attacker situation. How are the employees on the fourth floor going to know that someone on the sixth floor yeah. is uh, uh, perpetrating an attack? And what do um, they do? Uh, and, the uh, you know, and well, that dovetails into training. Okay. And what do employees do? What do managers do when it happens? And I would direct people to York Regional Police has put together an incredibly good program for people working in an office environment called Run, Hide, yeah. Defend. And we had some fun with that yesterday, you and I talking about it. The Americans call it Run, Hide, and Fight. We don't like words like fight. So for the longest time, you know, the backstory, uh, Luke, I don't know if I ever told you, was that as we were trying to put together programs uh, five, six, seven, eight years, and uh, all the material was from uh, Department of Homeland Security in the United mm -hmm. States, and you couldn't get anything in Canada. It didn't, mean, it didn't mean that we weren't prepared, but the government of Canada, who is the lead uh, public safety Canada, hadn't put anything out. And my understanding is they didn't put anything out is they didn't like the word fight because it's not nice to fight. It, it, it's a bad word. So yeah. we came up with defend, which is a softer word. But run, yeah. hide, defend really means three things, okay? Yeah, we're, okay. The moment, oh, no, no, go ahead. Well, I was gonna go to a commercial oh, okay. break. Okay, yeah, I couldn't get a oh. word in there twice. <laughs> okay, well, just, what you gotta do? Just go like that or something. I can't read your mind. You don't get mad, yell or something. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick commercial break. I'm gonna refill my drink because I need it, and then uh, we'll be back. Hey, folks, Lucky Luciano here, reminding you to visit our sponsor, BrianClayman.com, where his team of experienced professionals can help you build an effective security program that balances risk with the needs of your business. And please don't forget to hit that like button if you enjoy our podcast and help spread the word by sharing us with your network. And now, back to protecting your assets. And we're back. So where we were heading into was really the uh, the middle of the uh, active attacker um, process, and that's where it's actually happened. The guys in the in the office tower or in the building or in the location, and uh, you know what's that going to look like? What are your options when when shit is the fan, for lack of a better word? And, you know, before we, we get into the, the specifics of the response, it's important to remember for our listeners who uh, who haven't, well, most of them haven't had the, the, the experience, thankfully. But if you just play it out in your head, think about these factors 
It's going to be fast. Typical shooting, uh, active attackers um, scenarios will end in anywhere from three to 15 minutes. That's the average. So that's pretty damn quick. Um, and uh, by the time police respond, you know, think about it this way. Even if the, the officer is down the street from your office tower, it's going to take that person a couple of minutes for the 911 call to come through, get it to the officer. The officer has to get his bearings and come to your building. That's five minutes at least at that point. He arrives at a building that he doesn't know what's going on. There may be 60, 70 floors that he has no idea where this guy is or where that person is, where the situation is happening. And he, and he has to familiarize himself with all those things while the attack's happening. So by the time you see an officer on your floor, you're probably you're going to be lucky if they're there in 15 minutes. You know, in that you time, you've got to make some decisions. And that's where this video comes in, in terms of run, hide, fight is what I like. You're the touchy-feely. <laughs> Defend, I really don't. I think fight is what it needs to be because if it gets to that stage, it's we're not in here. You know, it's not kid gloves anymore. We're not play fighting. You're fighting for your life. I'm not defending well, anything. I, I want to kill this guy. You, you know, uh, I encourage people, if they haven't, uh, to go to the York Regional Police website, yrp.ca yep. slash run, hide, defender. Just do yrpca or Google it, uh, YRP, uh, York Regional Police, run, hide, defend. And they've got a great page out there, and they have a great video that I encourage every business owner to watch. And it really is the anatomy of what a uh, uh, active attacker situation would, could look like in an office. Yep. And it's interesting. We we use the word defend. Uh, Andy Patnode, who is the host, he's their communications officer. He was saying that uh, uh, if it gets to the point where you have to defend, he then uses the words "you're in the fight for your life." Right. So if you think of the anatomy, it happens quickly. Okay. So what do you do? Okay. What do you do if you uh, don't want to get burnt? You don't go to a fire. You don't play with fire. Okay. Well, if you find yourself in a situation where there's a fire, what do you do? You get out, you run away. So that's the first thing you run. At the first sign that you're aware that something is untoward, you run, you get out of the danger, get out of the building if you can. If it's a false alarm, you got an unannounced coffee break, it's a nice yeah. thing. But if you wait till there's confirmation, it may be too late. If it is too late to run, you hide. You hide somewhere. And, you know, one of the challenges uh, I've had dealing with clients that are doing renovations or putting up new buildings or office suites or towers is that, you you know, the architecture nowadays in commercial buildings is open concept. Yeah. The boardrooms are all glass. There really is no place to hide. It's like a fishbowl. And what I tell architects when I work with them and I tell clients and I tell designers, you have to consider on every floor a room. It's It should be a safe room. Now, it's a dual purpose room. It's a room used as a boardroom, as a servery. It could be someone's office, but it should be a room that's secure that people can get in there, lock a door, and it's hard to break into. And that's necessary because if you can't run, if the guy's on the floor, you got to hide. And if he finds out place just like the video clip or uh, that we played earlier on it's too late he knows where you are he's coming for you you're in the fight for your life you got to defend so really uh, what can you do policy procedure training and then exercises yeah. we train kids in high schools we train them in offices every one of us that are in an office how annoying is it that at least once not twice a year we do the annual or semi-annual fire drill we all bitch, but I tell you something, those of us that take it seriously on the time we have to evacuate, 
it's we've created muscle memory. If you don't train, if you don't have exercise, uh, exercises, it's not going to be there when you need it to be there. Yeah. And just before we start heading to our closing uh, section, uh, just to put some more color around what an, a situation like that would look like uh, for listeners and the importance of training your, your people to expect it. You know, these officers are, are there. First of all, they're not there to, to rescue your people. They're there to eliminate the threat. That is their focus. So your people need to understand that. Officer Jones isn't going to come in, open the door and say, you know, run backwards like you see in the TV uh, movies and, and things like that. He's going to go right by that door and he's going to track down that shooter and put and put an end to him. And then they'll come back and, and free your free, free and treat your employees. Because that's the other thing. You may have people dying. And unfortunately, that's part of the, the equation that, you know, you hope that they're going to eliminate the threat and get back to anybody who's injured within time to be able to treat them. So that's, yeah, and that's I just want to say, reality. you're not being alarmist, because if you look at that York Regional Police video, they show it that the police are not going to stop for injured people. They're going to keep going till they neutralize the threat. Yeah, absolutely. Now, some of them have mitigated that with armed uh, EMT personnel yeah. who go in there after the uh, the attack of the engagement team. They come up behind them, and they've, they're properly equipped to defend themselves, but treat uh, injuries as well, yeah. the injured as well. So the police are trying to address that, but they're also going to be amped up they're going to be scared, despite what you might think. You know, I, I carried a gun. You carried a gun. You pull up that gun, that weapon. It's not a fun feeling. Um, you know, you feel empowered, but when you've got people around and there's real shooting going on, you're not. Uh, you've got some shit in you, right? Like, like you're not as cool as as the TV makes it look. And the other piece is that they are disoriented. Officers aren't going to know where they're going. They don't know who the people are, the shooters are. So they're going to treat everybody like a suspect, and that includes your employees. So your employees are going to be scared, scared crapless. And they got to understand that don't be running up to the officers. Don't be waving your hands. All those things can increase the risk of something going wrong. And we don't want them to do that. That can all be dealt with with proper training. Yeah. So now that that's out of the way, let's talk about some of the recovery or the, you know, the, the threat's been eliminated. The, the area is now under control. You should expect to remain in, if you've ended up uh, hiding, you should expect to stay there until the police come and release you. And I mean, the police will come to release you. Don't expect to come out of the the closet if you've got a lock on there stay there until they come and open that closet for you and that's that could be that could be hours right that like, could be hours absolutely yeah. and even if even after you're you're, you're released it's still going to be hours when they do witness statements they got to get your information they may have to treat your injuries so people have to have that mindset you're not going home to stay with your family and cry it out you know or get some somebody to hug you you're going to have to stay there and deal with it for an extended period of time in terms of the business, I think we, we should touch on the fact that you've got to have some uh, employment uh, assistance programs ready to go, right? People are going to have yeah. some mental issues. They're going to have some emotional issues, some health issues potentially. All that needs to be dealt with. You can't just walk away and certainly not expect them to be back at work the next day, which I've seen and heard in some scenarios, which just is astounding. But it just speaks to the level of ignorance or, or just unprepared, uh, lack of preparedness. On, on business owners. So suck it up buttercup yeah, is not exactly. the way to handle that. Okay. I can't believe that, but that's, you know, that's the reality. The only other thing I'm going to touch on before we run out of time is the fact that there are, there are a lot of good things that come out of the back end of an incident. And then when I'm talking about good things, there's going to be a ton of volunteers. There's going to be a ton of donations. People are going to want to help. The media is going to be all over the place if it's a serious incident. And you as the business owner have got to have plans to manage that. I remember watching uh, the documentary on Sandy Hook and the principal of the school basically 
struggled most, not with the incident itself, because that was pretty much handled by the emergency services and you were there just to support and facilitate what their needs were. It was after, when those guys all leave, donations are coming in, you need to have a proper accounting and auditing process to account for that, or people are gonna start stealing from you. And that's the nature of, of the beast. You're gonna have GoFundMe pages set up in your name, taking money from the public, and then lo and behold, that money's disappeared into somebody else's pocket. They're gonna be looking to you, the business owner, as the person responsible. So unless you take proactive steps to prepare for that on the front end, you could be setting yourself up for some difficult times on top of the fact that you've just experienced an unfortunate event in your workplace. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, leaders have moral responsibility. They have a legal responsibility. You know, if you're not going to fulfill your moral responsibility, if you don't even care about your legal responsibility, think about the brand and reputation damages. You've got to be prepared. Listen, active attacker situations often turn out bad for some some, sometimes many people. You may not be able to prevent it, but it's what you do to prepare uh, that's going to make all the difference because you're going to be armchair quarterbacked after yep. the event. And people are going to say, oh, should have done this, should have done that. Prepare up front, and then hopefully you'll survive to uh, work and live and uh, operate another day. Yeah, exactly. And on that note, that's it. We're wrapping her up. I wanted to uh, thank you again for the conversation. We've actually done this a second time because Brian screwed up the first edition. I didn't really screw <laughs> up. The technology failed me. We did the whole thing and then nothing recorded. Which is Stuff fine. Happens. I, <laughs> it happens, but now I've got something on you. Uh, but with that, uh, it's been a pleasure again. We'll talk to you guys in uh, two weeks with our next episode. Till then, stay safe, stay healthy, and take care. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets.